Welcome to Right Size Security, the podcast where we discuss all manner of infosec, from enterprise security to practical security every business can use, all the way to end-user security. Your hosts for Right Size are me, Simon Gibson, longtime CISO. And me, Steve Ginsberg, former head of operations and CIO. This is a two-parter about how a CIO can prioritize building a security program, either from Greenfield or by taking over an existing program. We're going to look at what some of the pitfalls are, what to watch out for, and how to make the most progress in a short amount of time. In the next episode, we'll look at the problem from the CISO's perspective. How does the CISO work with the CIO as well as other parts of the company when they're not in the same reporting structure? So uh, welcome to the first episode ever of Right Size Security. Uh, before we get into the topics at hand, building out a security program from the CISO's per, or the CIO's perspective, uh, let's talk about some current events. Steve, you had, uh, had brought one up. Uh, you want to start with it? Sure. Um, so I just thought it was interesting to see in the news, um, you know, there was a lot of interest in it already uh, with the Mars rover uh, kind of going silent up on Mars. And uh, interesting to see that it's actually come back to life. Uh, and in looking over some of the details, I saw part of that is by design. Uh, so the NASA program evidently had built in uh, already the ability. So my understanding is that uh, it failed to reboot, uh, which I think any systems administrator can have some uh, sympathy for. Yeah. Uh, and then, but by design, they had an out-of-band way to get back uh, in and actually wake it back up. Uh, and I thought it was just interesting how mission critical uh, op- operations can really be followed and planned for ahead of time. Yeah, that's amazing. I, I can't tell you the number of times I've had a data center 10 miles away and not had out of band to machines and had to drive places. So it's pretty impressive yeah. that they can get to a, to like a console to, to get the thing out of a NIT 5 or wherever it was. Yeah, yeah. and I think it really goes to show you want to think these things up front. And yeah. I think, you know, as we look at security programs, yes. what could possibly go wrong is a great question yeah. to ask. Yeah, I think we'll get into it, but one of the key key things that I think people don't maybe spend enough time on with security is resiliency. Um, I think we talk a lot about security in terms of cryptography, verification. Uh, we talk a lot about uh, availability and integrity, but you know, being able to operate in a degraded state, being able to come out of a degraded state, how to fail correctly, those are all topics for information security. Um, the other kind of topic that we, we, we thought of was cops pulling over self-driving cars. I thought that was really an interesting one, too. Yeah, it seems like an interesting potential development, right? Obvious around self-driving cars, we're, we're seeing the bounds of a lot of things. And of course, we've already seen people hack uh, features of cars and, you know, having the ability to pull over your car uh, might be something you don't want hackers to be able to get access to. Yeah. And then that, that was, you know, one of the, the topics that uh, we had just sort of discussed uh, a few years ago at an old uh, job I, I had uh, was the, the notion of, of ransomware hitting your uh, smart car. So when you're speeding down the freeway at 80 miles an hour, suddenly you get a text that says, you know, if you want control of your brakes in five minutes, you know, you better wire some money uh, or we're going to do something to you. Yeah, that wasn't a case I had thought of, but it did remind me of the, the movie Speed. Yeah, very much so. I mean, it could, you know, again, connected cars, all this, all these sorts of things. Uh, you know, I mean, there's, there's good and bad sides to it, right? All right. One of the things that came up, Steve and I have been friends for quite a while, and, and one of the, the topics that we decided to discuss was, what's it like to build a security program as the CIO? We're going to cover the, the, the sorts of things that you need to know. If you are the CIO and you've been asked to build a security program, things like where do you start? Uh, what do you leverage? What do you keep? What do you outsource? Um, how does your program fit in with the rest of the company? And finally, how do you report and track on that? 
That's coming up. Stay tuned to Right Size Security. All right, so let's kick this off. Um, let's, you know, in your case, Steve, I think your your leadership and, and exec staff team at some point looked at you at your company and said, we need some security here. Tell us about what that was like for you. Yeah, so so actually for us, it was more of bottom-up. Uh, so, uh, you know, having designed a, a security program and then spoken to peers about this, you know, organizations come to this a lot of different ways, right? Oh. So depending on what the situation is in a company, uh, you know, first of all, as we said in the opening, you know, you might be inheriting a greenfield opportunity or you might be coming into an existing program. Oh, so your exec team didn't come to you. You had a, the guys and the, the, the engineers come to you and say, we need to do something about this. We really moved it, yes. Yeah. So there were there were individual events that ultimately contributed to our security program. Right. Uh, and I, I feel good that, you know, in... in, in the situations I've been involved, I've, I've often worked with really great technical leads on the systems and then on the network side, yep. and so and uh, also security-informed developers. And so uh, in the companies I've been a part of, we've always designed a bit of security as we go. And so, you know, the audience would be familiar, obviously, with, you know, good Unix security if they're, if they're Unix Linux people, uh, or good Windows security if they're good, you know, Windows yep. folks or Mac or whatever platform that you're on. Yep. Um, so that type of thing, there was, uh, in, in all the companies I work with, there was at least a healthy amount of that to start. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I think in looking at a more formal program, certainly uh, in the case of Pandora as a public company, you know, moving towards that, or even as a company that had a strong internet presence that was well known, uh, it became very clear to me as a IT leader right. that I would want to have a program with great security. Right. Uh, and part of that is absolutely keeping protecting the brand and keeping the business moving in the right direction. Uh, and part of that, quite honestly, is also a personal piece of not wanting to have that interruption of having a security issue that now my team has to get involved in that. Right. So so was, so was as it was sort of ground up, did you have one particular champion? Was it a confluence? Was it, did you end up kind of taking the mantle from your champion and becoming the security champion? How did, so I know, I know, you know, there are always sort of situations in enterprises where there's some need that somebody recognizes and they choose to go solve it. And honestly, you know, that can, that makes and breaks careers. You know, I mean, I've seen people do very, very successful, uh, big things and, and, and really send their career a long way as a result. Yeah, so I, I would say that I became one of the champions uh, for security in the company, but there were certainly uh, important contributors who took areas and took them on and, and, and made them really work. And in time, as my de department, it was our organization built, we basically built uh, uh, two sub-organizations that were essentially for us the uh, security and compliance uh, portion and then the security operations part. And so they led important parts of the effort, working in confluence with the technical operations leaders, also the development leaders, and also folks in other parts of the company. One of the things as you build a larger security program is you realize you re you need to be in coordination with the finance department, right. with legal, with the comms department, uh, and then even reaching out to all departments, ultimately, of course, HR and marketing as well. So after this all kind of came to, to be, and you realize this is what we're going to do, and you, I, I assume you at some point went to your leadership and said, you know, we're going to uh, embark on this. Um, wh what was the first kind of, like, what was, like, the first step? And, like, wh what what did you need to get done? To sure. Get 
So um, I think in my case, quite honestly, you know, having managed security and, and been involved somewhat with internet uh, security over time, uh, well, I guess I will say, in truth, internet security was really the first thing that we started to look at. And uh, you mentioned resiliency. So availability to the service was a major part that we looked at. So obviously understanding uh, firewalls at the perimeter, including on, uh, you know, on the, uh, the web-facing uh, data centers, um, and then uh, also understanding uh, DDoS availability. So what kind of things could bring down our site? Got it. Uh, so, and that's pretty common for web scale uh, companies. There's definitely multiple DDoS options, uh, which kind of bring up the topic that, uh, that we discussed also about um, whether you rely on vendors or not. Right, right. So, uh, so with something that was as large as uh, Pandora, our fault tolerance uh, enabled us to actually sort of self-insure to some degree, right. which is that we had wide pipes. We made sure our utilization would be low enough, uh, for example, that we could sustain some amount of attack in that regard. Um, but then also over time, we certainly brought in products and also used outside services to manage that DDoS. So it was effectively a sort of a what assets do you have and where are they? Uh, absolutely. Right. And, and then there was probably some sort of a, you know, a, a ranking, a stack of you know, what's important, right? The firewalls have to be able to take a certain amount of throughput or if you're going to do stateful inspection or not and how much throughput can you take? And yeah, absolutely. And I, I think in, in our case, we're both looking, you know, as being a web scale company, there's making sure the product is available, the consumer facing right. portion. Right. And then at the same time in the enterprise, we have the business systems, what systems are critical there, what access could be around them, what data is most critical. Give well. me a sense of scale, just, you know, in terms of, you know, obviously I think most people are familiar with Pandora and the service, the website and the different, you know, I, I think it was a little bit of a surprise to me to understand how many different ways Pandora can be distributed, whether it's on a mobile, if it's on a computer, if it's in a car. So that that's sort of the obvious side. But in the internal systems, the management, I mean, there's clearly a lot of music management. There's up, you know, there's uptime management. There's there's a ton of systems. Scale size, how many systems did you guys have to support? Sure. So it was in the scale of thousands okay. uh, or uh, moving towards uh, ten of thousands. And But uh, services, roughly. Yeah. Like, so, uh, you know, the, the product originally was uh, somewhat monolithic. Yep. Uh, and then, of course, over time, then uh, the development team moved more towards microservices. So, so like certainly now, hundreds. That, of... Now you start to move. Absolutely. And even, you know, even from the corporate side, uh, you know, back on the other side, SaaS services is a good example, something that uh, totally emerged during the time that, that I was there. And, you know, we moved from, you know, perhaps having one or two to even Hundreds, uh, hundreds of, of SaaS. So, as the CIO who's now responsible for the security, the reputational security, the compliance, the the whole you know the whole kit and caboodle of security, um, you know, how did you did you have any special methods to sort of decide what was important and what wasn't? Did you have any sort of formal ways of, of managing that? Uh, sure. So, you know, we started with informal conversation. So, the the good thing about about um, you know, starting in an organization that was, you know, at the time on the scale of maybe a thousand employees, uh, or we probably got started before before that, but uh, but you know, moving during that window is, you know, the folks in an operations team and an IT organization, we have a pretty good idea of, of what's in the business. So uh, a number of things could be kind of listed 
just from our own, you know, assessments. And, yep. and it was basically, you know, combination of uh, what was known, what was easily discoverable. So, you know, certainly network probes, uh, software that, you know, that would that would test, well, what is available on the network. Right. Um, and then we then moved out at the same time towards a more formal risk assessment program, working with leaders across the company to talk about, well, what are the important assets? Right. What do you need and, to do your, well. what, what if it breaks, does your business stop working? I, I did a I similar one. Do you know the the odd thing? I thought for sure it was going to be the uh, the customer relations, you know, Salesforce was going to be the the thing that was the one thing across the whole business that if it broke, we're going to all stop. You know, it turns out it was the phones. The phones were the most important thing to, we interviewed, you know, eight, 10 lines of business and without fail, every single one of them said, or, or for the most part, all of them said that if we don't have phones, we really can't work. So yeah, oddly. So, so then work stops, but the Salesforce, they can get back. Yeah. You know, in another hour, they'll be fine. Yeah, yeah but if we can't, if we can't help a customer who's having an outage on the phone, we're in big trouble for our organization or we can't, we can't get suppliers. We can't, it was just, it was an unusual thing when you start to peel apart these risk and, assessments. And it makes the good general point, you know, which we're mentioning, but just to stress is like, speak to the business. Don't assume you know the answers totally. to all, the, all these questions. Absolutely. Right? What about, um, you know, without, you don't need to get too much into compliance and regs. I know those are important, but let's sort of talk about those in, in, in complement with talent and, uh, and retention. You know, how do you sort of assess talent against the sort of compliance and business needs you have? And how do you kind of retain and manage that talent? Sure. So, um, you know, as I mentioned, you know, I tended to view things of I have very talented uh, operators and some of them were able to move into this security space. Uh, however, we recognize we did not have all the talent. So compliance is a great example. Uh, that was where we absolutely had to bring in talent uh, to grow that effort. And that's also one that turns out to be balanced, right? So when you look at um, compliance, like, uh, so first of all, you know, leaders need to understand what compliance they need to comply with. Sure, sure. What are the regulations? Too, are they PCI? Yeah, are they HIPAA? Are they SOX? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Exactly. And so there, what expertise is needed? So of course, in the case of SOX, you know, companies is going to engage outside uh, consultants, sure. you know, uh, uh, of the, the kind of like the big accounting firms uh, at some level. But, on, you know, on our side, we also uh, did a bunch of that stuff internally. Yeah, I mean, you still have to be able to manage the expectations of one of your auditors and somebody needs to be able to deliver the proof of the control. So, you know, you can hire all the firms you want. You still have somebody generating a report that works for you, you know, satisfying the requests of the auditors. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, with compliance too, there's... Um, you know, the important distinction that some of the audience will know, but is, you know, compliance is not security. Just because you are compliant, that does not at all mean that you're secure. Right. However, compliance can be used to move security forward. So it's a good time, for example, to separate systems from each other, uh, to segment the network or to uh, tokenize a, uh, uh, financial transactions or things like that. Basically lessening uh, what you need to protect in the well, future or at least using it to secure those things that you are, those business functions you're going to keep. So that's, that's perfect timing. So like in terms of after you've sort of done the assessment, you've looked at your, your sort of capabilities, you've looked at the expectations of the business, how do you decide what to keep and what to get rid of? I don't mean get rid of, but I mean outsource to, a, to another department in the company or just full-on outsource to a vendor. Sure. So, you know, for me, I always viewed those decisions as ongoing. Uh, we do, a, IT organizations do a lot of vendor management, right? And, and so that's going to be basically coming first from, you know, as you said, what uh, capabilities do you have for talent internally? Mm -hmm. What can you do really well? And should you do those things really well? Or should that talent be doing something 
more valuable to the business, right? Is this a valuable use of the talent you either have or can hire and retain? Right. Um, and then what are the vendor options and what's kind of relative cost? You know, so the, the typical return on investment that you might look at for any kind of outside vendor, I think in the security space still applies. So, you know, will you get a better return by investing with an outside partner than doing that effort internally. Right. And also, are there real capabilities that you just can't achieve in a certain time scale? Uh, if, you, if you can do a great job on security, but you can't get there in three years and your asset's gonna be unprotected, that's clearly a case where you would want an outside service if right. they can do far better on that. How about in terms of sort of like, what did you do about situational awareness? Because, you know, I know in my experience, there's this notion of, you know, what are you logging and how comprehensive is that? But then there's always this sort of, you don't know what you don't know because you're not logging it sort of thing, you know, like there's that problem. How did you sort of deal with that? Sure. So, you know, I spent a long time when we went into the security program, it was literally as they, you know, ask in business, you know, what keeps you up at night? And it literally was something that was keeping me up at night. Uh, And... The reason was, since a formal security program hadn't been started, kind of dualful, which is one, we haven't gotten to everything. As you said, we don't know our, you know, you'll, you'll never know your unknowns, right, by definition, but, you know, we don't even know yet how close we are. We don't, we don't even have a sense of that. And also because we hadn't really engaged, uh, I worried from a kind of uh, reputational stance that if there was an attack, we didn't even have a great story for the board or for outside parties about like, hey, we've done all these things. Over time, of course, we engaged and we built up situational awareness was absolutely something that we built up. And one of the things that I, I guess I would point out here too, in terms of the talent assessment is, you know, security professionals there's a very wide range of how people engage in uh, with security, with the programs, with the work. And that can be from very, you know, kind of I would characterize on the range of, you know, there might be people who are policy experts, but don't know really to do anything effectively when they log into a system. Right. So they're going to move Excel and PowerPoint yeah. and read documents. And, and that can be super valuable, but it's not, those people aren't going to make you right. secure with through their own, uh, direct contributor efforts, right. right? So they, I mean, they will increase your security by making you compliant, make sure your policies make sense, doing the kind of communication with your organization. Um, so very valuable, but different skill. Yeah. Um, and then in terms of operators, there's a wide range of sophistication too of those folks who will just operate tools that exist. And there can be a great range of security that you can get that by using good security tools that have consoles, say you have a, if you get to a single pane of glass, you can have people monitor that security and, you know, follow uh, workbook, cookbooks to do things. But then I was fortunate enough to work over time at at multiple organizations with folks who were strong enough to program security. And I think that's a significant part to be able to bring through open source tools, to be able to write Python and similar, uh, to really bring together logging systems uh, that are very sophisticated and can provide, you know, deep monitoring. And so yeah. I think that's a big piece. Yeah, I definitely, as as the CISO in the different sort of types of CISO roles, some some where, where I had sort of a large team that was busy writing code and, and actually responding to incidents and doing pen tests and product security versus... Uh, when I've been a CISO running sort of a small security operation center or, or you know, it had less resources, the, the, the world I always found myself living in was this sort of world of the boss saying, you know, you know, 
you're not looking hard enough. Are you sure you're looking at everything? Do you know you're logging everything? Or the bosses, or you go to the boss and say, hey, look, we had a small breach. This is what happened. Well, how did you let that happen? You know, so you kind of, I find as the CISO, you, you often are the person who has, you're the single throat to ring. Um, and so, you know, to be able to think about it from the CIO's perspective is super useful, at least in, in my in my experience. Um, you know, another thing is the flow of the company. You know, obviously, uh, if you're in charge of the technology as the CIO, it's not only security, and security can absolutely stop a business process. I mean, um, I had a story where we uh, decided to disable USB devices. So we went around the whole company, you know, 12,000 people in some hundred something countries and said, okay, who needs USB devices? Because we're going to turn them off. And, you know, a uh, hundred people came back and said, yeah, our group uses them. And, and we went, okay, we left them on in the group policy and we flipped the switch. And, and suddenly there were just people with pitchforks at our door going, what have you done to our computers? And we said, well, we, we asked you. And they said, no, you said, do you need USB drives? These are jump drives. You turn off our jump drives. And we, we went, oh, you know, like we broke their whole process. So, and, and at the CIO, it's very much the same thing. You implement a, a, an upgrade. You implement, you know, some, some you know, end of life thing happens. You bring in a new SaaS program, you know, program. How, you know, like, how have you thought about like working with the rest of the company, not just to assess where the business processes are, but working with like procurement and HR and like, how do you think about like, you know, interoperating with the company? Right. So, uh, you know, I think it involves this kind of multi-level approach, right? So there are some efforts that we could easily identify this change, only the affected group will be limited. Hmm. So in mm -hmm. some cases, you know, even it was only folks in my own organization, we need to change how systems administrators do X or Y yeah. uh, in order to improve security. So those are pretty easy to manage uh, generally, although there can be times when even that's going to be a tight you know, scheduling can be a, an issue. Communication can be an issue. You know, that was a great example of you. You did communicate. We tried. We just didn't know what you were talking about. Yeah. Uh, and and actually, we spent a lot of time with audience. Certainly, when you get on these kind of rollouts that go to the whole uh, whole company, communications style becomes really key. And then you find out also in the modern age. People maybe don't even read email no. over a certain amount of time, no. and and that was something culturally I've always had a thing because for me I was always you know on email all oh, the time. Not right? me, not me. I mean yeah. I, I I think by the thirteen thousand seven hundred and twenty third corporate communication email I just wrote a rule and deleted them. Yeah, you like, stopped reading. Right? Yeah, I just there were just too many at some point. I figured so this is important enough. Someone's going to come to my desk and say, hey, you need to pay attention because right. this thing is coming. And you certainly have you find out that communication and this is true for issues outside of security as well. But in, in the security space, you have people want to be informed uh, in terms of they don't want to be surprised, right? Yeah. They don't want they don't want anything to happen to their work that they don't feel like they were. And then it's not just informed. Actually, they want to be, in that case, consulted about what the best way to do things are. And, sure. And, and you know, so they really want to be. Do you mean if it's, if it's business process that changes their workflow? Yes. Yeah, you got to yes. have their buy-in. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. But on the other side, most folks in a busy, you know, a busy modern environment actually don't want to attend a meeting to do those things. They don't really want to be on an email uh, about that or a call. So. It's really a very delicate balance, right? And of course, getting that right is important. And so you have to spend the time to figure out, you know, who can. One of the things that can be effective, if I can maybe offer a uh, you know, solution, is to find out, are there um, important folks 
uh, and we did a bunch of this. Are there important folks within an organization where you can get the buy off of someone in the organization and then they can communicate at their stand up or that kind of thing. So you don't feel like you necessarily have to, Go to do all the meeting. communication for everything. Yeah. And then on the other hand, we did certainly find that sometimes sending people to stand ups or similar was super important for did, kind of kind Did of you try to implement a BSO program, like a business security uh, expert? It's a, you know. That, that, that sort of head of security in a business unit. So you identify 15 or 20 business units. You pick somebody in that unit who has, you know, s some sense of the importance of the business and the workflow. And you sort of deputize that person in that unit to be in charge of security for them. And they report back up to you or the dotted line back to you. Right. So, uh, so we didn't do that aside from... Uh the application security effort um, kind of, again, was kind of relying on strong contributors for a while. And then we discussed over time when would be a right, a right time to grow that effort. Right. And so that was basically software development grew their own small security organization right. to work with others there, educate. And then also a lot of me meetings back and forth to make sure that communication was continuing and happening. And we were tuning. And quite frankly, it takes some tuning to get that yeah. because development security, you know, their views in a product organization, the priority is to get product released. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, one of the great learnings there, uh, you know, which is, is well known in this com security community, but might not be well known everywhere is get upstream, right? Make it so that you have tools that when developers check in yeah. uh, code, they just get a quick right. you know, score right, right, the right there yeah. so that yeah. they can just fix it then and you're not having to fight with production uh, deadlines and is that, at the end. Is that work you wound up doing or was that sort of taken on by the, the head of engineering that then sort of consulted you afterwards? Or did you sort of go to the head of engineering and say, hey, you know, it'd really be nice if you put some sort of code sanitization or code scrubbing in front of this? Right. Yeah. So I think that was our recommendation coming from, you know, we, we looked at obviously kind of, uh, you know, OAuth standards and, and NIST standards and things like that. So I think I think my team kind of grew that. They may have already, you know, in our case, maybe development already had an idea that that would be coming. But uh, right. I do think that my security leaders, uh, you know, certainly at times educated the development teams. And I think the development teams, you know, I think work, it works both ways, right? There's going to be pieces. For example, when we went to go mobile security, where we wanted to, you know, secure people's phones, uh, you know, that was a very active uh, conversation with end users throughout the company, but certainly developers who had strong opinions about what could sit on their phone sure. or not sit on their phone. Sure, right? sure. I mean, that's a whole can of worms. Let's open it. Why not? Um, you know, one of the problems I've certainly faced, and I've been in many companies where this is the case, um, you know, you're, if you're going to go to a programmer who's capable of running a very secure laptop, or at least, you know, well-secured, patched, updated, understands what's on their system, understands processes that are running, things that are injected into memory, really knows their system well and is good at keeping their computer running nicely, um, you know, and can your IT team, and if are you able to support them in such a way that is as good or better than them? And if you can't, how do you then have that conversation with the programmer that says you need to use the corporate image? Right. Yeah. You know, that's certainly an interesting issue. And I've talked to folks at, at different companies who've had to kind of address that. Um, you know, I don't feel like there's one perfect answer. The, it, there would be a perfect answer if there was a perfect suite of security products, right? If there were, if, if, if you could get products from a vendor uh, that could be installed in a way that could be agreed that did a better job than the best 
yeah. individual, right. then you can easily say, hey, look, this keeps you productive and it provides the best security. So your job is to develop, not to do security. This is perfect now. Right, right. But but free of that, yeah, I think yeah. then it's a it's a conversation. Yeah, I just see any vendor or anybody who's thinking of a startup listening to this right now is probably going, that's what we ought to be building right now. Right. Um, but no, I think the reality is for me personally, I had a lesson once where we did an assessment. We were hiring a third party incident response team. I was at a company. We were building out our program. We were probably six months to a year away. Uh, you know, what you said earlier about uh, if something happened, I needed a good story, right? I needed to show not only my board, but my executive staff and our shareholders, we were actually taking this seriously and doing stuff. So we uh, retained an incident response company and we went through an assessment with them. One of the things that shook out of it was um, the need to be able to access an employee's laptop for, you know, you know, potentially you know, uh, intellectual property, uh, insider threat, are they doing something that they should not be doing on your network? And if you allow the programmer to have their own laptop with their own password, as the security team, you don't necessarily have the option to forensically image that laptop. Where if it's a corporate image, you actually have that, you say, this is our corporate image, you have to give it to us to, to forensically image. And so I, I've never used that as an excuse, or I'm not as an excuse, I've never used that argument with a programmer. But I wonder, uh, you know, if that is not something that a programmer might go, well, I would let you have access to it or I can give you the root password and you can check my laptop once a month or randomly and prove that you can always get onto my machine. You know? Yeah. Because I think, I think that's really what we're trying to do. I don't think we're necessarily trying to take control away from programmers or control away from people. I think we just want to know as an enterprise that whatever is on our network is something that we can then go back and audit and make sure is, is up to at least the standards we have. Yes, I, I think enterprises have these trade-offs in, in different places with employees and, and we all want a place where you know, our privacy and our individuality is protected and is, uh, is, is, is held true and I think those are important things uh, to do as well as you can. Uh, and I think that it's been com come common also in enterprises to say, well, it is a corporate laptop. Do your work when you do here, the yep. data has to be ours because there could be legal discovery, there could be reasons, we yep. could be liable for what happens there. And so I think a big part of that is getting the communication up front that the policy is very clear when you join a company or if that's something you have to add after the fact that it's added very clearly, changes to policy, you know, yeah. the machines will be uh, corporate mail. And I think what, there are issues like this in security that have gotten a bit easier over time, which is more people are used to this now than I'd say when I was managing the same issue 10, 15 years ago, yeah. people were more surprised that a company wanted to say, this is my machine, or we might monitor network connect, uh, communications, yeah. or things like that. Maybe different in the finance space. Well, I, in the finance space, it's, it's, my experience has been certainly that it's quite locked down. I, I will say, though, that personally, just me personally, as somebody who's pretty keenly aware of what's happening on my machine at most times, and um, and, I, and I've looked at some of the, the software and some of the, you know, like the backup things, the, the things that sort of, all the sort of software IT wanted to install on my machine. Right. And, and I was just, I, I wouldn't want any of that stuff on my machine. It presents more of a risk, you know. But I think there's a statistic that IBM has, and it's something like per thousand lines of code, there's something between four and eight errors. So the more code you put on a machine, the more likelihood there are for errors. So if there's stuff on my machine that I don't need or want, like you're just introducing new threat models and threat profiles onto my box. Sure, yeah. and I always think of the Kaspersky thing at that point, right? So you, Kaspersky, uh, who makes security software, 
they themselves were hacked. So, you know, an IT organization was trying to do the right thing, sure. you know, or many of them were install that software and then you're making the machine actually less secure. It's actually, never mind that it's not more secure, yeah. it's actually less secure. And, and I honestly, right. when I, at, at, at Bloomberg, when we did large assessments and we're looking at deploying software to 40,000 machines, yeah. a vulnerability in a piece of software we did an assessment on is a deal breaker. Right, like if, if we deploy software to forty thousand machines and somebody figures out one problem with it, they can now own forty thousand machines. So it's a big it's a big scale problem how to get yes. that done. How so? One the the last is we're kind of wrapping getting onwards to the end. Tracking and reporting was one of the ones that I always really struggle with. I I managed to develop a system wherein we record every incident we find, big or small. We rank it. We use sort of a CVSS-like ranking. We track the time it was reported. We track the time it was started, repaired, and the time it was remediated. And we sort of, over time, say whether it's a virus on a machine or we know somebody doesn't have the right community string on an SNMP, you know, router configured properly, it's public, or we don't have the right segmentation on the net, everything, right? All the way through. And we kind of rank, we score them. And then we kind of, kind of over time, track basically how much we're spending and uh, how well we're doing in terms of fixing them. And that was about the best way I'd found to report on it, but I know there must be better ways. Sure. So, so yeah, so I think absolutely, you know, the first level, which that was a, a, a big piece of that is, you know, ticketing any security effort uh, that, you know, work that's getting done and then separately having some form of project tracking. Of course, there's so many, you know, different systems you can do that in, but have proper project tracking for major efforts. Um, for me, I would say I, we did struggle with it also, and it, it kind of uh, mostly um, filtered into just our overall uh, IT uh, reporting. So yeah. what, what projects are we working on? You know, what budgeting are we doing, budgeting project? So I, I felt like those flows could be unified mostly. But separately, we did more in detail uh, meetings with heads of product so that they knew you know, what are we doing that are affecting their team? And so part of that is uh, what we were talking about before about giving good upcoming. These are the things that we're working on that are going to land on your teams that you want to know about. And then a lot of that then also was ongoing. So, you know, for, for example, like a mobile rollout or something like that, anything, you know, production firewall changes, anything that's going to affect um, the development and the product uh, teams. Uh, also, you know, not only some formal data, so those meetings would include graphs and, you know, and slides and things, but also uh, the conversation that says, well, what, you know, this is what we think you think is most important and also ears open. Mm -hmm. What do you think is important that we're, you know, give you a chance to tell us what is important that we might be missing? That was a good conversation, Steve. I, I, I enjoyed that. Yeah, I enjoyed that as well. I thought maybe for our audience, we should maybe just look back and say, have we really given good advice on, on how to create a security program overall for the CIO? Obviously, this is going to be different for different size enterprises. Yep. Uh, but I guess if I look back at, at what we were thinking about, you know, I would say prioritizing is the most important thing you can do. Um, you know, it took us a while to discover the common security in depth. Yep. Right. There's not one move you're going to make. And we just talked about even when you get all the way down to a machine and you're buying software, you might not make the move that actually makes you more secure, right? right? So, so how do you create a system that has uh, you know many places where you're making it more secure, and do it without overwhelming the talent you have uh, and the budget that you have to to do that effectively? Right, right. It's that it is definitely that prioritization and it's that assessment that starts from it, right? Do the assessment, do the prioritization, and figure out what what you have. What are your talent capable? What's your talent capable of? 
obviously there's some budget constraints and, and you want to understand your budget for the next couple of years. Who can you hire? What can you spend? Uh, and what are the most important things in your business? I, I personally, when I think about a security program, I think about what is going to put us out of business. If the, if the human resources database gets compromised and everybody's salary gets out, that's pretty embarrassing. I never want that to happen. Probably not going to put us out of business. Like it's not a good thing, but it's probably not my most important thing. You know, if we ship a piece of software that somehow causes a nation state to then attack the Pentagon because it was our software that we released, that's probably going to put us out of business, not to mention be terrible. So I, I, that's kind of how I think about it in terms of prioritization. Yep, absolutely. You got to look at the reputation of the company and real potential legal issues for the company or compliance issues that are going to interrupt that's business, right. Well, that, uh, and that's right too, right? That's the auditing part. So, you know, are we in compliance? If uh, an event happens, are we reporting it properly? Is it, are there the controls in place so that, you know, if a machine that deals with finance has some sort of a problem, are we reporting that correctly back to our auditors? And is that kind of thing? What about uh, outsourcing? We talked a little bit too about, you know, what do you keep and what do you, what do you not do? Sure. So, you know, I, I think vendor management is, you know, a very important topic, obviously for businesses across the board and in the security space. You know, I had a lot of trouble trusting uh, outside parties uh, initially. You know, we want to build up. I, sure. I, I can put my hand on the shoulder of, you know, these folks who I know well uh, if we have an incident and that kind of thing. On the other hand, over time, uh, I felt, for example, uh, with cloud, it's likely that Salesforce is monetizing their security effort for uh, an internal product, you know, or for their product more than I can for my file servers. Right. Right. So as much as I know, well, my team does a good job managing file servers, you know, I know that at this point, right. uh, you know, a large cloud company, they're going to have a deep team and that kind of thing. And so there are places where you absolutely can make a, a, a good leveraged uh, choice, but you also have to consider, well, one day that choice may also still Come back fall. About you. What am I going to do there? Is my data backed up somewhere? Can I keep moving in another system? Those type of things. Right. I know, I know for me in supply chain specifically, there were certain things that I know wouldn't work, like employee database, for example, don't want to have it get out. But if it's in the cloud, sending it to something like Workday, probably not the end of the world. And I also know that because it's sensitive data and they take it very seriously, it's their whole business. You know, and Fortune, you know, 100 companies are using them. They, those companies are also doing security assessments and pen tests. Yes. So, so if if they have 10 of the best red teams in the world go hit Workday, I am now benefiting as a result of those pen tests. So I am getting a heightened level of security, and I'm actually getting something off my network, right? So now I've got one less thing that I actually have to be concerned about, right? It's really yeah. now it really truly is in in your universe. Yeah. One other thing that you kind of touched on uh, that I just wanted to bring up is maybe also looking at uh, security being about uh, herd mentality, which is you might not be able to get to the 100% place on your security efforts. Uh, you know, if you have a very well-financed program and you, you really do everything right, maybe you can. But it's so much better to get to 80% or 90% yeah. than not. And right. so I think that's uh, – leaders shouldn't be um, – shouldn't be paralyzed by, oh my, we can never get all the way yeah, there. Yeah. You know, don't let the don't perfect good be the enemy. enemy of, yeah. yeah. Well, and the other one, um, the, the other argument that I, I always had to come up against was the programmer who said, well, you know, it's, it's either A, it's always been broken like this, or, you know, so what's the point of fixing it, right? I mean, it's like, well, clearly there's some esoteric, really hard, you know, you know attack that could possibly break into the system. But the reality is we can still do these other things. You know, it is a defense in depth mentality. And, and again, it's, it's really keep the cost of the attack greater than the value of the target. 
That's I, I really do think that's that's an absolutely true. You know, if this attack is so expensive that you're going to burn, you know, tons of hours and tons of zero days and tons of money, and it's going to be really, really, really hardcore, it's got to be something really worthwhile on the other side. So you have to adjust your program, right. you know, in, in equilibrium. We, for we that. used to also like to say that the. Uh, you know, you don't always have to be faster than the bear. You just have to be, be faster, faster than, than the other friend, guy. Right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so then the, the other part was how does it fit in with the rest of the company? And I think we kind of hit that really. It's uh, at least for me as, as the security person working with the networking team and the engineering teams, it, it's a lot of horse trading. Uh, I think if in this case, as the CIO, you have a little bit more control around when things get done, although you probably still have to horse trade with other businesses about when you get stuff done, right? Yeah, that, that's the way I look at it. And yeah, in a perfect world, you could make the enterprise perfectly secure and it's seamless to everyone. No one is ever interrupted in any way. Uh, but like a lot of things in modern business, sometimes establishing, no, there will be certain windows where things have to happen. Uh, like any operational upgrade, uh, you may have to establish some of that. Right. And then finally, track, report uh, your progress. Um, keep tabs, you know. Keep as much data as you can and figure out a way to summarize it that makes sense for your business, right? I don't know that that you need to, you know, I don't know how valuable it is to say we had 150,000 hits to our EPO console and we cleaned them all up and there, you know, there was just adware that we solved. But you're keeping track and you're saying we have this much and this is what we're seeing. And over time, you can start to track it. So I think, you know, write everything down and then trend it and what will be, what is important will start to come up, come out. Yeah, Absolutely. All right, so that's it. This was the very first edition of uh, Right Size Security. Uh, I'm your host, Simon Gibson. I'm Steve Ginsberg.